Well, uh, hello and welcome to uh, the next installment of Nicholas Insights, uh, entitled Bitcoin or Bitcon. I, uh, I've been quietly uh, looking forward to this one for, for quite a while, so uh, I think we're in for a great ride. But look, before we start, well, we'll kick off um, with our disclaimer, of course. Just a reminder that uh, the following presentation is general information only. And whilst uh, Nicholas Wealth aims to present informing and sometimes entertaining content, please consult your investment professional, uh, financial advisor or us, I guess, um, before making any decisions from anything discussed in today's seminar. Okay, so uh, to kick us off, we've got our, our agenda for our, uh, our seminar today, Bitcoin or Bitcon. Um, we're going to be running through a couple of uh, key themes. So uh, we'll be looking at the blockchain versus uh, Bitcoin as, as a cryptocurrency. Uh, we'll be looking at will central banks and governments uh, actually allow private money such as cryptocurrencies, um, having a look at how much they're worth. And, uh, and, and also, I guess, just broadly having a look to see uh, if we've sort of seen these sorts of things appear in the investment world before. So let's jump into it. Damien, um, in regards to the blockchain, just to, uh, I guess, just to, to get things going, uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, look, I just wanted to give a touch quickly on the technology. It won't be an in-depth one. We're just given the time frame. It's not sort of uh, it's not worth going through that. But and there's plenty of places where people can can find the the technology. The uh, the, the the couple of key parts with the blockchain though uh, is what I've got up there on screen. Is is you've got this external verification of transfers. So the idea is that there's a ledger that's that's um, publicly available or, or at least managed in a, in a centralized location. And um, it, it's verifying transfers from 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 third party uh, by, by, by people who aren't involved in the transaction. And then the, this centralized or distributed permanent record of every transaction. So the idea is that um, you know, certainly from the blockchain, it's it's very useful technology. Um, there are, if you look through the the finance industry in particular, there are hundreds, sorry, tens of thousands of people who, who sit in back offices at, at most fund managers or, or or asset managers, whose sole job is just to make sure that one person has the asset that they sold it to the next one and has it passed hands properly and and you know who, where is it in the chain. And, and this can remove a lot of that that it, those issues. So, um, in terms of the technology, um, there's plenty of people looking at it. You know, the ASX is looking at it. Um, you know, most fun, most uh, stock exchanges, but there's there's also uh, plenty of other places who that manage assets and need to make sure that the custody or the the ownership of an asset is passed from one person to another. And blockchain is is extremely useful in uh, technology in terms of being able to do that. So, so broadly speaking, um, before we dive into Bitcoin itself, I guess the um, the underpinning technology being blockchain is 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 you know it's a pretty significant sort of um, addition to to um, you know to what we can do with it. Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. sure thing. So um, I guess now uh, jumping across uh, to Bitcoin, of course, um, what can you tell us about that? Your thoughts there? So, so Bitcoin um, has got a couple of benefits going for it. Um, the, the first thing is they've got this first mover advantage in that they're the biggest and, the, uh, uh, and um, they get the most press. And so uh, it's this whole snowball effect of, of people are interested in, in, in this cryptocurrency and or they see the blockchain and, and, and like the idea of it or, or like the, the process behind it or, or even just you know, caught up in the, in, in, the, uh, in the excitement of the whole cryptocurrencies and, and that's the first sort of first port of call. So they've got this first mover advantage in terms of that point. Secondly, they've got this limited supply. So um, by the very nature of it, the supply is limited, which means that the more people you've got interested in buying some, you can really shove the asset up quickly because you just can't, a supply just can't, cannot expand quickly enough to, 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 um, to meet. Um, so the, 
the other side though is the the power usage of it. Now I think um, and I think you've got some stats there. Tim. I do. I do indeed. Yeah. Look, I'll, I'll quickly run through a couple of the stats. So I've, I've pulled these from a, a website called digeconomist.net, um, who I think from from my research anyway seems to give the most sort of um, researched um, background on that. Um, couple of things here some staggering power usage obviously uh bitcoin at the moment needing a lot of power they've estimated it to be somewhere in the vicinity of 32.7 terawatt hours uh per year um which is a bit of a foreign number to most people i'm sure but it, as it turns out it uh, roughly equivalents it roughly equivalent to the um amount of power that denmark uses as a as a country um per year which is um which is staggering i guess um as a percentage of world electricity consumption it sits somewhere around um 0.15 of a percent which uh whilst doesn't seem big i guess for something that <laughs> that isn't a country and <laughs> not producing anything is huge um I'll, I'll carry on with the stats just for a minute but the um another interesting one was the electricity consumed uh per transaction they've estimated to be around 234 kilowatt hours um, and then to make sort of sense of that, I've, I've sort of had a quick look at the Australian Energy Regulator and they've estimated an, an average Australian household to use about 18 kilowatt hours per day. So it's equivalent of 13 Australian households daily usage to uh, to create or to perform a transaction, um, which is worth about $58 in, in Australian power costs at 25 cents a kilowatt. Um, so, so that's that's remarkable. Yeah. So, so we'll sort of cut you off there. So, so you're getting you're getting the idea. I'm sure four people are getting the idea that you know there's there's major issues with the amount of power that, that Bitcoin uses. There's also um, issues in terms of the number of transactions it can handle, and um, you know, and and the time delay behind these. So, you know, people like to be able to pay, pay for stuff and, and and collect you know straight away, and that that's not the case um, when you do start to get major numbers of the transactions. Okay, so, so we, we have these issues, but before we really get too concerned and too wrapped up about that, it's worth noting that there's a whole bunch of different um, cryptocurrencies out there. And the, the thing is, the, there's I think eight or 900 different varieties, there's probably more by now. Um, you know, as I'm, as I'm speaking, somebody's probably creating, you know, there's probably 10 or 15 people out there creating these things. Um, and, and most of these do have solutions to those, like some of those, some of those factors that were built in that, that we're complaining about with Bitcoin were built in as part of the, as part of the design of the, the thing to, 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 to make sure that, um, you know, people could mine these things and, and it was profitable for them and, and stuff like that. But so, so the thing is there, there are solutions. So we've got this t technology we, we say, yes, is, this is a good technology. We've got Bitcoin, which has got some significant problems in terms of being a widespread um, technology that's used by the rest of the world, purely because it's just wasting power to, in, in order to create money. Um, and um, we do know that there are solutions to these problems. So, okay. um, you know, I think there's the question um, comes down to what well, David will get into in a little bit. The question really comes down to, you, you can argue about the technological problems and, and, and the issues with it. The, the real issue with these cryptocurrencies is will governments allow private currencies? That's, you know, and, and, and gold is sort of almost a private currency, you'd say, but, but there, there are some backing behind it. Um, you know, the question for these is, will, will it be allowed by central banks? And we'll, we'll move on to that a little bit later. Before, before we get into that though, it's worth just sort of going through what, what money is. Because, sure. So it's discussed. We've discussed Bitcoin and um, and and sort of its its backing. Now it's it wants to be money, and so you know the question we've got to ask is you know what is money, and so money is sort of 
usually defined as three things and sometimes a fourth. So that so a medium of exchange is, is the main one. Um, we want to find, you know, I want to buy a product, you want to, and, um, and you want to sell a product and, and we, we could barter for it, but if we don't have exactly what we wanted, then, then it's, we have a problem. So we want to find something that's a medium of exchange. Now in the early days, Bitcoin certainly fit this um, category and, and most cryptocurrencies, that's why they were sort of brought out as, as, a, as a medium of exchange. The problem is um, given the uh, huge speculative interest in these uh, and the fact that the prices are so volatile is that uh, the number of people using these to pay for a pizza or, or to buy you know, a, a coffee and things like that. Um, and, and the amount of energy that now goes into, as a, you know, the amount of energy that goes into a cup of coffee um, to the is, transaction to trans is less than the, 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 the amount of energy that goes into the transaction. <laughs> so, so, you know, as a medium of exchange, it sort of um, used to be, but unfortunately, you know, given its limited supply, it's, um, it's, it's struggling with that. Um, is it possible for, for other cryptocurrencies to be a unit of exchange, a medium of exchange? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, a unit of account. So, so basically what this is, is this is just saying, if you're doing a, a, your P&L or your balance sheet, and you want to add things up, you want to use something to, to say, well, I know I've got a house and a car and, and some investments. How do I actually measure the value of those? Or you know, how do I measure my profit and loss every year? And that's what we use money for as a unit of the account. So, so you know, we've got conversion rates for Bitcoin. You can use Bitcoin as a, as a, as a, as a unit of account. A store of value. This is probably the, this is a key one that, um, that Bitcoin um, professes to be. And it is a, um, it's, where it's sort of, I guess, the, the whole thing's headed. The more speculators you've got in there, the more people saying, well, it is a store of value and, and we'll approach, you know, we'll, we'll have a look at that as to, to, to how much you can consider a, a private currency to be a store of value. And then finally, that's sometimes you get it as, as a standard of deferred payment, which is basically just debt. Um, how do you, how do you, you know, account for debt? But we'll leave that. We, we don't have borrowing or widespread borrowing it certainly in, in, a, in, a, in an open way with Bitcoin. So we'll, we'll leave that for later. Hopefully not, but I assume it's probably happening. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so fiat money. Yeah, so the, so the other thing to just to, while we're sort of defining things is, is fiat money, which is fiat money is basically money that's been declared to be so. Um, so there's nothing really backing it. Uh, it's worth most people who, who have concerns about fiat money talk about how gold is is um is is not fit money because it's you know it's actually got this real tangible thing behind it my take on that is well you know silver trades at sort of fifteen dollars an ounce gold trades closer to a thousand dollars an ounce uh they're pretty similar metals in terms of industrial use and all that type of stuff gold is you know has got properties that make it more useful but but the actual backing of gold is probably you know, let's say it's 10 times more useful than silver that sort of gives it makes it 150 dollars an ounce still trading closer to a thousand dollars an ounce mm. there's a lot of fiat based in there there's a lot of there's a lot of just people assume that um i'm buying gold because i think other people will buy gold and 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 it's this whole trust thing so so the the trust behind traditional money is um behind gold well, trust behind gold is that people have used it for ten thousand years or pick your time frame and so there's, so there's trust in there uh the trust behind traditional money so the us dollar or the australian dollar or or the euro is that central banks uh, will manage it and that um uh, you, what you'll have is that you've, you've got this con constant conflict in terms of a fiat money where uh, people who have money or are business owners or, or things like that, they want the, the supply of money to grow slowly. They don't want inflation to get too, they'd, they'd like to just have very stable and, and something, they earned some money last year, they would like in 10 years time that money to be worth 
way more than what it was. Mm-hmm. They don't want it, they don't want the value of that inflated away. On the flip side, employees and and people with debt, they want money to to grow as fast as they possibly can, so that they, their debts and their and their, and their wages rise and and sorry, their debts their fall debt and their, their, yep. their wages rise. Sure. So so any money system is all about balancing those two. It's a, it's the fight constantly between it. In in central banks, we've we've created these central banks that are meant to be there to manage that. They're meant to be the the independent arbitrator. So you don't have governments out there like the Zimbabwean or the or the Wemo Republic that go go ballistic, you know, increasing inflation because it makes most of the people happy, and um, they they have to sort of manage the the inflation at a, at, a, at a reasonable level, and that and they're there for the trust part. So the problem with the cryptocurrencies is you you need this trust. Now at the moment there is this technological trust, I guess. Probably a lot of it's because uh, it's lack of lack of knowledge, which which puts the trust in it. But um, you know, the, having that trust behind the fiat money is the key bit. And most of it is like, so let's say for Bitcoin, is is a lot around. It's it's very hard to create the Bitcoin. So uh, the trust in that uh, the money supply won't expand quickly is there. But um, you know, the trust is will the money supply actually expand to meet the number of users? That's that's the harder part. Okay. So. Sure thing. And um, so then I guess moving on. Interesting. So, so the key bit is you want to be able to convert it to real money. And that's, it's a bit, a bit of a shame that you've got this current, you've got this uh, cryptocurrency that's sort of designed to be a, a unit of exchange and it's no longer a unit of exchange because speculators have taken over and, and, and bid the price up. And so now what actually matters is because I know I find it very hard to, to transfer it for other, for, for real legal goods and, and banks are, um, generally um, prohibited from from doing this because they don't know who they're dealing with and, and they don't want the, they've got these uh, anti-money laundering yep. uh, obligations and they don't want to lose their licenses on on transferring bitcoins so that the key bit is being able to transfer into money uh, ex- because exchanges can't deal with the banks they need you they need individuals to turn up with five thousand ten thousand dollars and give them real cash that they can exchange for for, bit, for, for bitcoin yep. so that they can get money real money back out of the system so there's a there's this real um which is why you know the, the discussion to ponzi scheme and stuff like that is that basically you need to keep we need to keep getting more people pumping money in this because we can't we can't deal with the real banking system so we need to get you know people pumping their own cash into that to, to help fund people who are looking to get out and there's a real danger there isn't it Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So let's we'll move on to the dangers after we've sort of got the structural ideas. But yeah. There's... Okay. Very good. So look, um, just um, obviously, uh, you know, Bitcoin being um, you know, the first first to market essentially, or the most popular in, in the earliest days. Um, it, it's been interesting the I guess the um, the evolution in, in sense of um, sovereign and federal governments are now looking to take on. I've, I've just jotted a couple down there. So Dubai have just recently come out with their MCash. Um, Japan a tip for a release. Uh, for the Olympics in 2020, called the J Coin, um, Sweden apparently are kicking around the E Krona, um, and then finally Australia's uh, apparently the um, the Reserve Bank. Um, it's been reported as this uh, ten, it's taking submissions on um, on exploring what they're, they're loosely calling the digital Australian dollar, or unfortunately called the DAD. Um, <laughs> which I think is classic Australia, but anyway. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what, what comes out there. Were there any thoughts on, on, I guess, the sovereign applications that are sort of slowly emerging as well? A lot of them are generally pegged to the hard currency. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so this is coming back to exactly my point for the whole technology side is the technology is interesting. Um, there's uses for it there. Um, you can get around some of the some of the structural problems you have with, with Bitcoin if you get around those problems and you have 
have ways of reducing the energy use and 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 increasing the number of transactions that it can handle, but but keeping some of the benefits of this central uh, transaction and things like that. There's 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 plenty of interest from from governments and things like that. The the real question with all these is, and, and what I want to stress most is, don't stress about the technology. The technology is good. Some of the some of the things have flaws. Don't stress about the flaws in it, you know, because that you can work around those. The real core thing for anyone who wants to put money into this is, do you believe that central banks will allow private cash, private monetary systems to to flourish, and that central banks lose their, um, you know, their their issue, their control, stop, stopping becoming the issuer of legal tender that we create a whole bunch of these private currencies that sit out there or rely on top of those. And so, and, and that's, so, so I guess what I was trying to do here is give you a quick, quick thing about the technology, but then telling you ignore the technology because the whole thing comes down to will central banks allow private monetary systems to, to flourish or not. Okay, fantastic. That's where, that's where it's worth handing to, uh, to David to discuss a bit more. Yeah, we'll chuck over to, that, to, uh, to David. And I guess, um, the um, look, Bitcoin. Whilst we're, you know we're dizzying heights at the moment, and I think as uh, as you mentioned there, Damien, the um, constrained supply is certainly adding to the um, the furor and the and the rise. Um, it is still you know on base on, on on any basis a quite a, a minuscule currency in terms of market capitalization. Um, but if it was to be sort of five or ten or a hundred times bigger, I guess this is where. Um, you know, particularly the you know reserve banks are going to need to step in. But um, did you want to have a just run us through some of the um, the ins and outs of of private currency? Thanks, Tim. Oh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so, so yeah, I was just going to kick off with a sort of brief history of private currencies, uh, because to my mind, Bitcoin, although it looks hyper modern and new, is in fact a nineteenth century phenomenon. Okay. Revisited. Um, uh, you know, our current monetary system evolved, you know, over centuries and, and there were a lot of private currencies that, that lived and died through the 19th century. Uh, and, you know, some of those um, even took root and turned into sovereign currencies. And uh, there are still lots of private currencies today doing other things other than Bitcoin. In fact, you could argue <clears throat> to some extent, even, even our sovereign systems have large dimensions of private currency. I mean, the banks can, can effectively create money um, as private issuers, uh, but they are kind of, um, they do carry the stamp of the sovereign. Um, so, I mean, some of, the, some of the funny private currencies we've seen there are Disney dollars, you know, which you can take to go and buy your, your cuddly toy um, or, you know, spend at Disneyland. You know, even Keynes proposed a thing called Bancor um, at Bretton Woods, which was, kind of going to be a private currency that operated between sovereigns. Um, but probably more to the point, um, if you look at the history of the US dollar, even at the turn of the century, different banks were issuing different dollars. Uh, and it wasn't really until the Great Depression that it kind of um, consolidated into what we know today as the US dollar. And that transpired alongside the creation of the Federal Reserve. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so, I mean, it's not that private currencies uh, are intrinsically bad at all. I mean, they, they, uh, you know, that history suggests that some of them live and some of them die. Um, but basically, you know, as Damien kind of touched upon, there are, there are four challenges for any private currency if it's going to survive. 
um, you know, its birth. Um, the first one is the trust issue that Damien outlined, you know, like, do, will people accept that, that the private money is legal tender uh, and, and use it as a means of exchange? Um, second, uh, previous private currencies have tended to have distribution issues. They've, they've often been issued, you know, obviously, you know, a hundred years ago, you could print what you could, but you'd be geographically very constrained in the usage of your private currency. So they, they never really served the purposes of a sovereign nation. Uh, clearly, um, a cryptocurrency doesn't have that problem given the internet. Um, third, uh, the, the, the first two limitations have tended to, to lead private currencies to um, have troubles with valuation. Um, given, given, you know, you can have these limited or supplies plus kind of unknown demand, um, it tends to lead, you know, to high volatility, which then kind of draws into question the first issue about trust and how it can be used as a means of exchange. Uh, and then fourth, and this is where we kind of come back to the history of the US dollar. Um, when, when you have, you know, some of these, these teething issues with a, a private currency that is born, there's always a risk of a run on the currency because, you know, that trust issue either becomes malformed or gets ruptured by something, whether, you know, it's overbid and then prices fall or there is, is uh, you know, some kind of criminal attack on the currency. Um, in, you know, in the case of cryptos, it could be a hack and uh, what have you. And they're quite um, common or they seem to be over the checkered uh, past of Bitcoin. Uh, they do. And then you've got other things, you know, when it comes to cryptos like failed states who, who are sort of using them to launder and other, other, other kind of nefarious issues. Um, and so what, what over hundreds of years of financial crises and the development of private currencies ended up with is, as Damien described, was a central bank, which stands behind, uh, you know, the currency of a sovereign nation uh, and, you know, it can provide unlimited currency in a liquidity crisis if you get that run on trust. So, so, so do you think that this is sort of um, the direction that the currencies are headed? Is that sort of a, a thought bubble that there might be a, a global coin as such? I'm sure there's already a coin called global coin, but you know what I mean? Uh, well, that's kind of what Keynes's bank hall was, was a global coin. Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, I, I, I think the nation state, you know, and its powers to tax, which kind of underpins the solvency of central banks as well um, is an immo immovable rock in the way of that because uh, that's kind of what gives them the um, balance sheet strength. And I guess it would probably turn into a, 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 euro, a euro all over again but on a global scale where you've got competing economies under the same. Yes, well, that's right. And I mean, that's what Keynes Bancor was going to do was help address, um, you know, global imbalances by shifting the value of of a kind of super currency um, at, you know, once a year, which was a really interesting and very good idea actually, but um, we'll let that go. So, um, so uh, just moving on, I mean, in terms of 
how those four challenges for a private currency stack up against crypto and I guess particularly Bitcoin. Um, uh, there's legal tender and, and the challenge of trust. Uh, you know, the joke that's been doing the rounds very recently about a boy who, who asked his Bitcoin investing dad um, for, for 10 bucks. I mean, his dad um, said, you know, do you need $9.67 or, or, or $10.32? <laughs> like, because the value, you know, is so volatile um, uh, that, that it's become useless as a medium of exchange. Sure. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, uh, obviously, the distribution issue is not potentially an issue, um, although at the same time, um, given the trust issue is there, uh, the distribution issue also remains, even though access is not so much of a problem, it's just a case of uptake. But there are places like Japan, you can use it. Um, you can't emigrate to Japan, sadly, if you do want to use it for a long, on a long-term basis, but it may be that other countries will take it up. Volatility is extreme, um, given, yeah, I mean, this is where you kind of can't move, move just from Bitcoin towards crypto more generally. I mean, you know, at the moment we have kind of contained quantities of Bitcoin, um, but you don't have containment on the number of cryptos that can be created. Uh, and so there's another potential value issue there and volatility. So, um, you know, when you're facing your challenges about the reliability of the currency, again, that's a very serious question. Um, uh, and then finally, you know, in terms of does anyone stand behind the currency? Like if there is a, a challenge to its value, uh, if, you know, the present, present uh, craze for buying it and driving up the price runs into um, some resistance or indeed some of those in the, in the current um, system that have benefited greatly want to get out and cash in, um, uh, or there's a wider shock or there's, you know, some kind of criminal shock that hits it. Perhaps North Korea successfully hacks and steals a couple of billion dollars. Uh, you just never know because this is the real kind of wild west. Um, if any of those things, you know, does, does or do you get a, a run on the currency? And what happens in terms of your liquidity risk at that point? Like do the exchanges have the money to cash out when everybody wants their money back all at once? And I mm. think the answer is very likely no mm. to that. So you have a liquidity crisis built in there where you have a very small exit with an awful lot of people. Uh, so, so, I mean, at this stage in terms of Bitcoin and probably crypto as well, it looks to, to have all of or contain within them all of the problems that have dogged private currency issues in the past. Over the years, okay. Over sure. the years, yeah. So there's nothing new there. It's just um, same, same, but slightly different. Well, E different. Kind of. I mean, distribution has changed, but I don't think much else has. I mean, efficiency, perhaps, um, when you look beyond, you know, the power consumption of Bitcoin at least. Yep. Then if you've got some very efficient blockchain um cryptos then you that would certainly have increased but but other than that no okay it actually looks like a big monetary step backwards yeah right no, fascinating and i guess um, given your um sort of prior history in in uh, in, in your trading activities um 
what are your thoughts on uh, sort of the recent you know news that people are coming out saying that this is now our, our new equivalent to um, to gold, online gold? Uh, well, gold 2.0, this is the idea that the Winklevoss brothers who are, are promoting very strongly, who are, um, you know, sort of we're in early on the Bitcoin rush and um, uh, own exchanges as well as Bitcoin itself. Um, it's a clever idea. It's a very clever marketing idea because it takes away all of those questions about means of exchange um, because it turns Bitcoin into a reserve asset rather than a, you know, an actual um, fungible currency. Mm. So it, it, it puts Bitcoin in a place where you don't need to address those day-to-day -day concerns about its value. Uh, but in doing so, it raises a whole bunch of new questions uh, about, you know, can it operate as a safe haven reserve asset? Uh, and to me, um, that's pretty laughable. Mm. Um, you know, if it's not if it's not the sort of endless history of gold's value, uh, it's its physicality, its pure physicality that gives it its safe haven characteristics. Um, you know, these safe haven reserve assets operate as a foil for fiat currency. Mm. You know, they're basically um, a non-fiat currency. So they exist in a way, or they have to exist in a way where if fiat currency were to die, then then these real, in um, inverted commas, um, assets would have value and increasing value. Can you see Bitcoin performing that role in any circumstance where where fiat currency died. Um, I can't. Mm. I mean, all the fancy tech goes dark in a war. Um, if if it reached such a point where hyperinflation kicked in or whatever, the dollars aren't worth what they were and shopkeepers won't accept your dollars anymore, are they going to accept Bitcoin? Probably I, not. <laughs> I mean, you can't hand one over. Mm. Um so I, I think that's a very dubious notion as well. So I think it's uh, – well, let, let's maybe leave it there. Okay. Then, then we can um, have a bit of a debate. Sorry, sure. I'm, I might add a little bit to that. I mean, uh, sure, Damien. The, the counterpoint is that, you know, somebody like Venezuela where reports, and it's hard to say how, how, how reliable they are, that, that the Bitcoin's trying to take, take root there, but the government's banned it. And I guess that's probably the – your other issue is – in, in cases where you have got runaway inflation and people are, are looking at Bitcoin and saying, hey, here's a way I can, I can protect myself from this, is that, well, the government's busy trying to, to get as many dollars as it can. And so, um, yeah, so that's where you face, um, you know, the time when you most want it is the time when governments least want you to have it and they, they put the restrictions on it. Yeah, sure. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And, and oh, I mean, that's what all of these questions kind of lead up to, um, uh, which is, is that if if the private currency's major role is to circumvent the existing system, uh, then you know from the anarchist's point of view that might look very attractive, but from the existing point of, system's point of view, that's that's very ugly. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, it, it could be that in a crisis the government decides to ban it or seize Bitcoin uh, or, or crypto, as it were, but it might just be day to day. You know, we're seeing an awful lot of central banks, in fact, pretty much all of them, um, coming out and condemning Bitcoin in increasing numbers. 
and in uh, turn looking to build their own, I guess, which is a, it's another competitor. competitor that's right, the but they're not, they're not, that's not really crypto. Like that's just a digital version of an existing blockchain. currency. It's yep. not private currency, which is what, you know, these cryptocurrencies are. Um, so uh, I don't think that you should confuse the two. And um, so... Yep. And sorry, just just to clarify that, what you're saying is don't confuse the technology behind it with private money, yep. which is what which is where I guess my point was very much technology's got some solid yes. bases. Don't confuse that with can a private monetary system flourish in in um, in a regulated world in a regulated world? <laughs> and, and and I guess it comes back to things like you know frequent flyer points is a good example, and one of one of a somebody who's busy on our, our chat just just brought them up there's a very good example of a, of a quasi private currency and or you know arguably even a, a private currency and the question comes back to um, for these ones is that you know there's uh, the Australian government at least is looking at you know how it can tax um, these things when they become too big and so the question is how big do these things get before they're big enough that that governments start to say hey people are using this to avoid tax they're using this to pay for legal transactions, um, and they they're using it to circumvent all the things that we want. You know, we, we want to constrain the monetary supply so we can we can control the economy. But if we've lost control of the monetary supply because half of it's sitting in this this private currency, then all of a sudden we need to get back control of it because otherwise we can't control the the economy. Mm. And so that's you know for me that's that's the real part of it is you know again forget that technology, come back to that. Do you think private currency will flourish? And if you do. You know, then then you've got a you've got a reason to get out and and chase these things. But if if you if you're of the view that um, at a certain size, governments cannot have people avoiding tax at, at, on a wholesale level, and they they need to control transactions and and control the monetary supply, then um, you know it's the, the answer is you know the, that's the end for for uh, the private for private money at some stage when at some size and some stage. Sure. Okay. Thanks for that. And um, we'll move we'll move on to. Um... One of my more favourite um, graphs, and I love this graph. But every time uh, you know the the word Ponzi and boom and and whatnot get kicked around, I, I like to refer to this graph. And then the the tough bit, of course, is trying to figure out where we are sitting on it today. Um, but your thoughts, gentlemen? Oh, oh, absolutely, at the, at the greed stage, and probably probably a bit of delusion. I mean, there's question is, um, you know, can can it can it spike higher from here? Absolutely, it could spike higher. There's, there's heaps of heaps of interest and lots of media attention and and seem, seemingly, uh, you know, in in the in the boom stage, people focus on all the positives and and there's all the negatives that come up get swept under the rug. And we certainly seem to be sweeping as many possible negatives as as we can under the rug and and just focusing on, hey, um, yeah, I know these guys lost all their money and these guys had all this money stolen and all that type of stuff. But hey, how about the guy who you know, got ten dollars for one ten years ago, and now he's a millionaire, or, or whatever it is. They've 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 by far over over outweighing uh, any of the negative stories. Sure. And I, and I think as well, most of these speculative bubbles, you know, they 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 come out. There are there is a grain of truth behind them, and and um, you know, there is a grain of truth behind this cryptocurrency. Is there's some interesting technology here, um, but yeah, don't confuse that with uh, private money. Okay, and David. Oh yeah, we're definitely in the green phase. I mean. Uh... How far in is an interesting question. It, uh, I mean, if you, even a few months ago, if anybody attacked Bitcoin, then, then it would fall very heavily. Um, you know, where anyone sort of within the existing monetary system. Um, you know, uh, Jamie Dimon comes to mind. He, he put a very big dent in it only perhaps three months ago. And 
But, you know, now today you have the Federal Reserve attacking it openly and Janet Yellen and it hardly budged. So um, there's probably two perspectives to, to take on that. I mean, the attacks on it are increasing from the existing monetary system, uh, but it's proving to be more difficult to, to uh, dent or deter at the same time. So, uh, you know, risk is rising, but so is appetite, clearly. Um, so, you know, how those two track one another ahead obviously will determine how high this thing goes. Uh, I mean, it's only, the market's only worth sort of just shy of 300 billion or so. And so it's very small in the grand scheme of things. It's tiny. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, it's very interesting that you have someone of the magnitude of Janet Yellen even bouldering mm. to talk about it. You know, I mean, uh, that gives you some a taste, I think, of how threatening it could be if it were to grow much larger. Uh, uh, could it? Um, I, th I think so. I mean, uh, who the hell knows? I mean, some of the numbers that are being thrown around about, you know, the number of people who are signing up, uh, who are going to trade it and buy it um, are certainly very, very impressive. Uh, and, you know, there seems to be an entire generation of, of millennials that, that think it's a, a wondrous new thing that, that they must own. Oh, I think it's our, it's our own mining boom. That's what it is. That's uh, um, <laughs> get I mean, rich I, quick. <laughs> I, and, and I don't get, obviously, uh, it's only a limited personal sample, but you know, from the half dozen I know who own it, they really haven't got a clue about what it actually is in terms of or how it fits in the history of money. Sounds like investing in the mining boom. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. Um, so I could see it certainly going further. Uh, I mean, I've, I've speculated this week on what would happen if it went up another 10 times in value and, you know, or even, you know, to you're getting up to sort of $3 trillion, Um and, you know, I mean, when there's that kind of money being thrown around, even at 300 billion and accelerating at the rate that it is, you're, you're going to see crazy innovation accelerate right along with it as well. And, you know, we know this stuff always runs way ahead of regulators. Um, but, you know, who the hell knows? I mean, you, you could get somebody starting to, to, you know, issue Bitcoin tranches and, you know, securitizing various cryptos and, We've had that actually. There was a, there's a question here on when we might expect the um, an option or yeah, a secondary well, market well, in Bitcoin. Well, we've already got that in a futures market. Mm. Um, but but you know what? If you want to address the volatility, then then why not package a whole bunch of them up and tranche it? You know, and and uh, offer the secure tranche only five hundred percent return per annum. Yeah. You know, and the risky one is thirty thousand. <laughs> like sounds enticing. <laughs> you know, and and so. You know, you could get a whole bunch of crazy innovation around this. The the issue is, um, I think for regulators, you know, the, the sort of red line on this has to be if it starts to permeate the banking system. Mm -hmm. You know, there are there are sort of anecdotal and apocryphal stories about people using credit cards and mortgages to buy Bitcoin, and that's starting to penetrate, you know, the very margins of the banking system, but. If Wall Street was start started doing crazy shit, you know, packaging them up and doing all sorts of stuff, then that would obviously um, be a, be like throwing a grenade at the regulators, I would think. But um, uh, so you know, there, there there is crazy momentum here that could generate all sorts of new craziness. Uh, 
and probably will before the regulators are forced to act. So if, if it were to get to sort of into the trillions, uh, I, it's still probably not big enough to destabilise global markets or monetary system. Because it's so widespread. Because it's so widespread, mm. yeah. Um, I, I just worry that, you know, there's a bit of a psychological segue developing between Bitcoin as as the exciting new leading edge of the business cycle and what's transpiring in wider markets. That's very nebulous, I know. But, um, you know, if you were to a year out, get, get a Bitcoin market in the trillions uh, and then suddenly a run uh, and wipe out, you know, say a trillion in value. Um, at that point, you know, who knows what debt is owed, mm. has been, you know, deployed into that market. Who knows what counterparties at risk and you know that might be enough to actually cause a wider run on um say stocks uh you know because we know all assets are kind of overvalued at this point that central banks are tightening and you know that risks are rising more generally so a bitcoin bust later down the track from from a a larger perch could actually be quite troublesome Mm, okay uh but the worst case scenario really is that it's allowed to grow to such a magnitude and all that innovation transpire that it actually starts to become too big to fail. I mean, this discussion is about when it becomes too big to succeed. But if it were really allowed to run and penetrate the banking system and global financial markets, then it would be an absolute wrecking ball. Okay. Know. Yeah, sure. Well, that's um, things to think about, and hopefully um, we can trim it, trim the uh, excitement back before then. We we will need to move on though. Um, but uh, your thoughts there, just uh, finally on on lessons from history. Um, so I guess as a as a bit of a wrap up there, Damien, um, what have you got to tell us? Oh look, yeah, as, as David's said, and I think I've expressed as well, is there's a, I think there's a very big millennial um, input into this. So and and they're sort of the big players in it. And um, there is a lot of, you know, it is different and it's new and it's exciting and all that type of stuff. And, and I guess what I was keep coming back to is, yes, some of the technology is new, but that technology is applicable anywhere. Um, the whole idea of private money is not new and this time it's not different. You know, it's not a, it's not, it's not a new paradigm. Um, you know, these currencies are worth basically, if you can find somebody more foolish than yourself who's prepared to pay more for it and you absolutely can at the moment and there seems to be more of them they're flooding into the every exchange. Um, you know, there's, that's that's basically what what these things are worth. If you want to put a value on it, it's what can I find a greater fool who will pay more than what I did? And you know, the answer in most cases at the moment is yes. But you know, my my huge, hugely important point is don't be the last person to sell if you're going to be in this one because <laughs> have um, your finger on the trigger. <laughs> the, the the exit is going to be crowded. And and the thing about saying oh well, look when it when it does start to fall, that's when I'm going to be. You know, I'll, I'll sell out before everyone else. I'll make sure I'm the first one out. Um, it, it ain't going to happen. The, mm. the exits for these things are, are very, very small. Um, you might feel like you're dancing close to the exit and you can jump out as soon as the problems come, but um, there's going to be a lot of other people pushing for that same exit. And um, I suspect a lot of the the uh, people who are a lot closer to the exchanges and a lot more involved in the exchanges, they'll be the, you know, that they've got a lot of their own money invested in it. Um, given these exchanges after. aren't regulated. Uh, they'll be looking after themselves first and their friends second, and you'll be a distant, um, you know, consideration for them as to whether uh, they get you your money back or not. Fair enough. Okay, very good. Um, I'll jump through the uh, the last slide because I think largely David uh, covered off on that one on our on our boom slide. 
was there nothing else to add there? That's fine. Okay. Um, and just finally, I guess, um, as a, as a recap, the, um, looking at the, uh, the cryptocurrencies and, and not getting too hung up on the individual flaws. Um, we all know, I think we're well established now that the, uh, the blockchain technology, um, does work, um, and, and is good. Uh, fellas, anything to add on central banks? Um, we're, we're pretty, pretty clear on the fact that they, they, Pretty much, they won't allow private currency if, as long as they've uh, got the ability to control money. They're probably going to remain in that position and do everything in their power if they can <laughs> to keep it that way. That's right. I, I, I think the question is whether the, whether they they burst it or it just pops by itself. Um, it's probably probably the case of the latter. You know, where it just it just grows, blows off, collapses. Uh, and then the central banks kind of say, I told you so. Yeah, okay. Yep. And, and there's risks, though, that could pop up from other ones. I mean, I think China certainly looked to try and prevent people from moving money out of the, current, out of the country using Bitcoin. Um, if you had a, a high-profile terrorism incident in the US, you know, and it came to, to light that it was funded by Bitcoin, you know, you'd probably see a big crackdown, crackdown there. You know, there's a hundred other, you know, cases that you could sort of see where, where central banks might step in earlier or governments step in to, to, to ban it. So, you know, there's certainly, um, there's plenty of, um, it, it, it's a fragile system. There's plenty of things that could knock it off, but, you know, it's got a lot of steam behind it right now. Okay, fantastic. And I guess finally, um, obviously, yeah, with the um, 300 billion market cap at the moment, but um, sort of, you know, manageable in a sense, but perhaps if it grows uh, significantly from there, uh, we, you know, it, it's going to give these, uh, you know, major, major countries and, something to think about um, because in turn it'll start, you know, create, create contagion risk really more than anything if um, it was to fall. Yeah, well, I guess that, that's my the last point I was really making about the risk to the broader cycle. Um, that contagion risk is probably more psychological than anything, even if it does get into the trillions, but uh, you just never know what crazy innovation is going on around it that's leveraging it. Absolutely. Okay, look, thanks very much, gents. And um, I think we've largely answered most of our questions uh, from there and in the interest of time we we will move on but um just quickly a recap on on nucleus wealth nucleus wealth and the macro business fund was put together to help give you access to quality well-researched stock analysis and superior macroeconomically minded asset allocation we use technology to help us provide a service typically only available to high net worth and sophisticated investors at a fee level that rivals the more basic solutions available to everyday investors we do this by using separately managed accounts, which allows clients to enjoy unparalleled transparency of what they own and why. It also means that each client effectively owns their own separate and discrete share portfolio managed daily by us. We have partnered with Linear Asset Management, who are backed by the ANZ Bank for Cash Management and JP Morgan, one of the biggest banks in the world, as custodian of your assets. In our new personal superannuation option, we have partnered with Premium, who is backed by HSBC as custodian and ANZ for cash management. We feel these structures are the gold standard for your financial protection. In addition to this, we offer 19 separate and individual ethical screens that you can use to help tailor your investment to ensure that your money is not being used to support companies that deal in areas and practices that you feel are important. By eliminating only the areas that are important to you, you avoid missing out on the potentially higher returning areas that you are ambivalent about, which are often ruled out in other broader ethical investment options currently available in the market. 
The name Nucleus comes from our ability to provide the core holdings of a client's portfolio, allowing them the time to explore areas that may be of interest or they have experience in. We also offer a complete investment solution for those who don't have the time to coordinate their own investments. Our investment team has decades of experience in world markets and we have access to a global team of stock analysts. By removing the layers of middlemen that sit between your money and the markets, we've been able to reduce fees and provide unparalleled transparency in the solution we provide. For more information on what we can do for you, please call 1300 623 863 or contact us through www.nucleuswealth.com.